even though it's a label that's not going away, it's a label that I can choose to embrace or it's a label I can choose to fight. And I've really just tried to work to embrace it over the past, especially the past 10 years of just saying, you know what, this is me, this is who I am, I'm not going anywhere, and if you try to bury me, I'm going to laugh at the ashes as I rise above. Brianna Pezen was diagnosed with Asperger's at 10 years old, but she didn't find out about it until she was 16. Asperger's is now categorised in the autism spectrum. It's a spectrum because no two people on the spectrum are the same. It's a lifelong developmental condition that affects how an individual interacts with people and also interacts with their surroundings. It was a tough journey for Brianna finding out she was on the spectrum. It gave her a lot of answers, but also a lot of questions. Brianna is not defined by her disorder and has done what people have said she couldn't do. She graduated high school, got her master's degree, has a full-time job, and is writing a book. This is Brianna Pezen. So I was diagnosed around 10 years old. Um, I remember briefly my family taking me to different psychologists, um, different behavioralists to kind of figure out what was going on. Um, I was starting to struggle in school, and I couldn't make any friends. So I just remember going to different therapies and speech therapy to try and see what was going on. Um, But they didn't, my parents didn't tell me until I was 16. Um, So there was about six six or so years that they knew, but I didn't. I didn't know necessarily what the spectrum was, but I knew I was different, and Mm -hmm. I knew I was blatantly different. I would go to kind of these special education classes that school put us people like me in, and I kind of got to the knowledge and tried to come with the fact that Everyone had to go through the classes. Everyone had to go through speech therapy, that I wasn't the only one who was different and struggling. Um, But when I was 16, I really just found out that I was wrong. I was actually different, and this is why. And so that's kind of how it all blew up um, at age 16 as well. So not necessarily knowing why I was different, but I definitely knew that something was going on with me that, not a lot of other people struggled with. So when you found out, were you angry? Were you surprised? Or what was your reaction to your parents? And then also looking back at your behaviours then, because I can imagine then you would have been analysing your behaviours, thinking what of my behaviours is on the spectrum and what was that all like? Absolutely. Um, It really came to me as a shock. We had just completed what we call um, an individualized education plan, or an IEP, which is a little more intense than a school conference between teachers and parents and the student. And so we usually get this like handful of paperwork at the end of this meeting. So I kind of had, I had just had an event where I was walking out of a special education room and was blatantly made fun of for dif- being different and I had come back to these I had come at these bullies saying you know you've been in here too I don't know why you're making fun of me and they started laughing hysterically and they're like no you're the only ones you know the, the stupid people or the retarded people have to go through those classes so I went home and found the paperwork that was just sitting on our front table from the recent IEP meeting and I started scrolling through it because I had never 
looked at the paperwork before, and um, Asperger's just kept coming up. So I'm like, what is this thing, and why don't I know about it? Um, and so I sat my parents down after dinner one day, and I was like, look, you need to tell me what this is and what's going on with me because this is how I'm struggling in school and I'm being made fun of, and I just I want to know what's going on. So my parents sat me down and said, you know, we didn't want to scare you or make you feel any different, but you were diagnosed with this several years ago, and this is how it's going to kind of portray on your life. And I just have, I remember sitting on the couch just feeling this, like, plethora of emotions of, you know, I finally can point all these different things to a reason and also kind of the knowledge and the realization that I was going to struggle with this for the rest of my life came about and it just kind of was all over the place. So what I did to kind of work within that and try to control it is I went to school the next day and I spent about four hours researching what Asperger's was. And I printed off all this paper from the library because I'm going through websites and they're talking about the fear of loud noises. They're talking about not being able to make friends. And I just point by point was like, this is me and this has happened. So now I finally have an answer for why I felt so different and why everyone would treat me differently. But then it was also that realization that these struggles are not going to go away and they're not something I can grow out of. So it was really that part acceptance and part fear of how am I going to live my life this way mm-hmm. and the knowledge that I am different and there's a reason why it was just a very shocking moment and a very shocking week for me yeah I can imagine definitely with Asperger's there is, is such a label to it and it's often you know stereotyped in all these different ways were you worried at the time when you were 16 and you found out this were you worried that people were going to find out was it something you didn't care if people found out you wanted them to find out like what was your situation in, in regards to like your peers finding out that you're mm-hmm. on the spectrum that's a great question because my my innate response was nobody can know um and nobody can know because they already see me as different so if they throw me in with at the time what i had called the autistics So you throw me in with that group and that label, I'm never going to get my way out of it. And it's hard because I have a mild case where Asperger's is really the most mild kind of side of the spectrum you can be on. So I can mask and fake my way through a lot of situations. And I've really been conditioned growing up that I have to fake and make my way through it because everyone around me expected me to be what what we call neurotypical or not have these issues. So I found a way to mask and not really cope through what I was going through, but it also helped me in that social realm because people didn't know unless I told them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it that worked, but I felt like I was um, gay hiding in a closet. Like I knew that this entire part of my life was just shoved away and I couldn't be honest with the people around me, which was really hard. And then you have my parents that, you know, I love my parents. They did everything they could, and they do everything they can to support me. But at that time, there wasn't a lot of education out about what autism was. 
and not a lot of people were getting diagnosed. So it was this like big trigger word for our society that said, your child's never going to change and your child's going to be different. And so I kind of lived that life for a long time and my my big kind of breakthroughs were I had a friend who had a brother who struggles with Asperger's as well and so I finally felt confident enough after knowing this friend for a few years to say hey I want to tell you something this is what I'm going through um, and I have this disorder and she's like yeah I know you know my brother has that too We've known for years. And I'm like, oh, well, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> um, and then after that went well, I was like, okay, maybe I can tell people. Um, I wasn't, like, super active of, like, jumping on the bandwagon of telling everybody. Because um, I really, even now, still struggle with that. Like, I want to be super open about it. And I want to teach and perform and speak about it. But then it's like, a lot of people still see me and still react in the way of, oh, I didn't know you go through that. You know, you didn't have to tell me. So it's always a mixed reaction back. At the end of that, I was in kind of the really big breakthrough I, I had for myself was I was in my sophomore, my second year of high school, and I was sitting in a history class, which was my favorite at the time, and the... Coming from the special ed room, we heard a couple people who struggle with other mental or mental health issues. They were screaming in the hallway because that was the only way they knew how to communicate. So these these individuals would scream when they would need something or when they were in pain or in shock. And so that traveled down the hallways into our classroom. And a couple of the kids that constantly made fun of me came into the room, you know, these big jock kind of types. They came into the room and they were like, you know, the retards are screaming again. Let's go make them shut up or something like that. I can't remember exactly what they said, but it was very offensive and very, like, we're just going to go make fun of these people and we're not going to care how they feel about it. And so I out of nowhere got very angry and very upset and as the classroom settled down to start I asked my teacher if I could say something and she respected my kind of presentation so she was like yeah you know what do you want to say to the class and I turned to these two individuals and I say if you're gonna make fun of the people in the hallway you better make fun of me too because I'm one of them you know, this is what I struggle with. I also have Asperger's. And the entire class, I could just feel all their eyes turn and start to stare at me. And it was just this big moment of shock for everybody because I had faked my entire way through school and no one, no one knew the specifics. So I spent a good, a good amount of that class period kind of explaining my story and explaining you know, this disorder and why I was different and how I struggle and how everyone could help. And uh, after my very tearful, you know, 25-minute rant, I sat down just shaking because I knew that nothing was going to be the same. Uh, this, you know, 30, 40 people knew. It would probably spread around the school, you know, all those kind of things. 
And that was really hard for me to accept, but I still feel that I did the right thing. And it was really a breakthrough that lets me talk about it now so openly. That is so incredible. I mean, because people that have autism, like one of the key things, one of the key aspects of it is socializing and not being able to understand social cues and just you know for so many people they struggle with just talking to people on an everyday basis and it's so amazing you talk to a whole group of a classroom of 30 to 40 people about something that they don't know about and you're just learning about like that is incredible that is so incredible well thank you yeah i was uh staring at the ground the entire time because i struggle with eye contact as well because eye contact is actually very painful to me so I've just stared at the crowd, like, sobbing, but I have everyone's attention, and it was just that moment of, okay, I can tell my story, and I can move on with my life, and the entire world won't melt down because I told someone. That's so incredible. That is so incredibly brave. Wow. What was <laughs> what was your parents' reaction when um, you told them this, that you did this at the school? I actually didn't tell them. Really? Um, it's... It took me a long time to really start sharing that part of my life with them because they had done so much to help me try to feel normal and help me try to fit in that for me to kind of come to them and say, hey, you know, I just admitted to the whole school was hard. Mm. Um, and so I actually didn't tell them. It was my uh, special ed teacher because my, my history teacher told the special ed team who then told the principal, who then told the superintendent of the schools. So it just kind of went up the ladder from there, and my, my special ed case manager called my parents and said, hey, Brianna did this great thing. And I went home, and they are like, why didn't you tell us? And I'm like, I didn't know how to tell you that I just kind of broke the silence on this. But um, they were very happy and very proud, and it was a really great moment just because – I, that's, that's the time where I just started to claim my power back because before that it was really, I had this presentation on myself of this, the brain that I can control. That's me that has my personality in it, you know, has all these great things about me. And then there's this other side of the brain that I can't control that's, you know, impulsive and scared of noises and doesn't know how to react in social situations and can't look at people and so for a very long time they were very separate beings and very separate parts of myself and one I tried to hide uh, completely from other people and that was the moment where I just said I am sick of hiding and I'm sick of being made fun of for it and so I'm going to step up and I'm going to say something and so the, the the two guys who were picking on these these kids in the hallway started being a little more supportive and started to, instead of making fun of me, they just didn't talk to me. And for that time in my life, that was a win. You know, if you're willing to ignore me and pretend that I'm invisible because I already felt invisible by everyone else, that I will take that over being made fun of every day. And it's kind of a lose-lose situation, but at that point, it was a win for me, and that's all I needed. What was the experience and the rest of high school up until graduation? Yeah, it was it was a little different. Um, some little things changed along the way. Uh, during that during that class period, actually, 
I remember that my my teacher wanted to talk about knights. And so after I was done with my little speech and I sat down, she's like, okay, we're going to talk about knights now. And I go and I just start scribbling in my notebook because I'm like, oh, my God, what did I just do? But throughout the rest of the class, and this is back before we had cell phones or anything, but I had like three or four notes handed to me of people that just respected my courage and thanked me for speaking out and all that kind of stuff. Um, But one conversation doesn't change school. So there were many different people because I came from a high school or a high school class of over 800 people. So yes, I changed the the my story in the minds of those 40, but that is just such a slim percentage from all the the people I was interacting with and struggling with. And so after that kind of two weeks of being open and talking about it. I kind of went back to my old ways of not talking about it because I was really struggling with who I was as a person. And, you know, in your early teens, you really start to try to answer the question of who am I? For me and people like myself, there was a bigger question of who am I but how do I fit and how do my needs differ from other people and how can I find the support system I need to make that through? So the rest of high school were was difficult. It was a little challenging to be like, okay, I, I let this out there for a group, and but no one else knows. So, Or it, the news spread and no one talked about it because autism was such a hush-hush, you know, you don't talk about your struggles kind of thing back then. And so it... It got easier, but only by like a half a percent. But that half a percent took all the weight off to say, okay, maybe I can do this and maybe I can get to a point where I like my life and I like what I'm doing um, because I was just really struggling with trying to figure out how I fit in the world and at that time, just not feeling like a waste of space was a was a big deal. And mm-hmm. I, I really struggled with, after that, after me telling people, I really struggled with the fact of like, oh my God, now they know, how are they going to handle that and is it going to get worse? And it did get worse for a while, but then, like I said, it got that half a percent better, which got me through the end of high school. Mm-hmm. And so you graduated high school. Did you and your parents and your teachers, did they ever think that you would you would have graduated high school? Was that something that you knew that was going to happen? I've been told by so many people. And my parents have been told by teachers and professionals um, that I wasn't going to make it, that I was going to be stuck at my parents' house for the rest of my life. I was going to not be able to graduate high school, not be able to hold down a job, um, that my life was just going to be too difficult for them to, for them to even bear. So they could, they should consider just sending me away and letting the state or letting, you know, state hospitals deal with me instead. Um, there was a particular time I was in fifth grade 
with a teacher who was really trying to like find resources for me because other teachers were like, okay, Brianna's struggling, but we don't know and we don't care about why. And this first grade teacher was like, no, I, I want to know why and I want to help her out and I want to help her be successful. So the first half of the fifth grade year was when I my parents were like taking me to these therapies and trying to figure out what was going on. But then my teacher went on maternity leave and we had this sub, but this sub just was horrible. She would not call on me when I knew the answers. She wouldn't look me in the eye. She just never gave me any time of day. And the last day that she was supposed to be teaching after this maternity leave of, like, four months, she calls my parents uh, a couple days before her last day and says, hey, I need you and your parents to come into my classroom before school starts on her last day to talk to them about my future. And so we didn't know what was going on. Uh, My parents and I... You know, we'll go to this meeting and see what's going on. So we get to the school, and what I remember is this teacher just told me and my parents, Brianna should drop out of school. She's not going to make it, and you should consider sending her somewhere else because I don't like her in my class. She doesn't, you know, she's not able to function in mainstream schools and should be sent off to a mental facility for the rest of her days. And I lost it. I was not ready for any of that, and neither were my parents, because after my teacher said this, I was sent out of the room because I was just bawling and was so upset. And so I went to the bathroom and heard heard my parents yelling at this teacher from the hallway, So I just kind of stayed out of the way, and uh, by the time my parents came out, they just stormed out, and we went to get breakfast before school started, and I asked what else had happened in the room, and they really took a move to protect me kind of from that, that language and said, you know, it's nothing to worry about. We fixed it. So... All I know is that this teacher got a reaming from a furious parent, mm. <laughs> and my my regular teacher came back the next day, and that was really when we started the hunt for a diagnosis, and that was really the day of, okay, something's going on, but we need answers because we need to get her supports or things are just going to decline. So how does that make you feel now that you think about people like that teacher and like people in the past that have made fun of you or treated you differently. How does that make you feel now, now that you have literally did what they said that you couldn't do? You graduated high school and you have a master's degree and you also have a full-time job. Like, how does that make you feel knowing that you really, like, you really showed them? You really showed them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great feeling kind of when I look back on that, just because there was such a presentation of, you know, you're not going to make it, you're not, not only not going to graduate high school, you're not going to get into college, you're not going to find a job, and with every new step I took, it was really just the mantra of they were wrong. Um, There's a poem 
that I came across in high school that was done by Shane Coyzan called To This Day. He talks about his experiences growing up and, you know, his parents died and he was meticulously bullied and he went through some of these same kind of depressional thoughts that I did. And he then started talking about how he rised up against the ashes and was able to try and make it through. And so really when I look back, it's this part of like, they were wrong and aha, F you, you know, I can do this. Let me prove to you and let me show you that I can. Kind of out of spite a little bit. But then it's the other part of like, if no one is going to believe in me, I need to believe in myself. So they can say what they want, but I know that I can make it. I know that I am better than they think I am and that this label, even though it's a label that's not going away, it's a label that I can choose to embrace or it's a label I can choose to fight. And I've really just tried to work to embrace it over the past, especially the past 10 years of just saying, you know what, this is me, this is who I am, I'm not going anywhere, and if you try to bury me, I'm going to laugh at the ashes as I rise above. So there's nothing at this point that can really keep me down. I might have to stop and rest, because there have been some points where I've needed to honestly just really get my shit together (laughs) and (laughs) try to figure life out and try to keep my life going. But every time I get there, I've really, throughout college, I really found the support system of people that are truly going to be there and are really working hard to make sure that I'm not only getting what I need, but they are making sure that I'm feeling comfortable enough to ask. Because my entire life was, you know, you can't ask for what you need. You can't, you know, assume that people are going to respect your needs or wishes. And you kind of have to act in this one neurotypical way. But you have to kind of respond to how the social contract is. And my friends that I really found this tight-knit group of say, no, like, we're going to put you in spaces that you feel comfortable, that you're getting what you need. And... They have just been so supportive while I'm trying to figure out this journey. And it's recognizing that I develop in all areas a little bit slower than other people. So knowing that I can go at my own pace and not just try to fake and catch up with everyone else is a really big comfort. So in comparison to the university college experience to high school, what was how was it like transitioning from high school to university because i can imagine it's just so different you know there's more teachers there's more people and especially in particular being being autistic the crowds mm-hmm. and the noise and also mm-hmm. the the structure changes like how was that for you adjusting to that yeah it was there's kind of two halves i look at it um the first half is it was a great needed change. I realized very quickly that in college, people just don't care. And <laughs> That's so, so true. You can <laughs> you can go in and like be who you want to be. Like I, I went. I first went for a teaching degree, and like people would show up in their pajamas, 
you know, you got the you got the late night, oh, I slept in someone else's dorm, like walk of shame back to your <laughs> dorm hall. And it was just a new start where no one knew me. I didn't have to pretend. And I could really choose who I wanted to be. But that mind frame for the first two years started to kick me in the ass. I, I had had, uh, you know, not necessarily behavioral therapy, but I've had I had a couple different therapies and mental health therapy all through, you know, grade school and into high school. And for college, these services were not something that were put on me, but something I could choose. So knowing that the transition was going to be hard, I went to my college's uh, special ed services and said, hey, I'm going to need a little more help. And they said, okay, you can have someone take notes for you and you can get longer time on tests, but that's all we can offer you at this stage. And I was like, well, those things aren't going to help me. So I didn't know kind of where to turn from there. And then additionally, my mental health kind of just took a nosedive. Um, I really started to struggle. I fell into a friend group where, you know, I watch a lot of movies and my life up to that point, I was kind of like, oh, I'm going to go to college and like find this great friend group and I'm going to know them for the rest of my life and it's going to be amazing and just all these stereotypes that I thought I was going to fall into and in all the stereotypes, things were going to be okay. And uh, so I, I fell into this friend group of a few women. And for the first year, it was fine. Like, it was a typical freshman year of high school or college. You know, trying to find your place, trying to find what you're, you like or what you're good at. Um, but then my sophomore year, I kind of have this sophomore year trend or second year trend of schools that it just gets really hard. Because uh, my second year at college, I was starting to fail out of the teaching program and not knowing what I wanted to do with my life because my entire my entire being had planned on being a teacher. And then this friend group started doing some really horrible things. And uh, as my symptoms of depression increased, they became more and more evil. Um, like one of the one of the things is on April Fool's Day, they, like, pin this huge, you know, kind of granny panty style underwear, like, full of, you know, chocolate to resemble, you know, a number two and red Kool-Aid to resemble the rest and stuck it up on my dorm door and said, oh, you forgot a pair of your underwear at my house. And uh, just sat there and snickered as I came home after a long day to see it. And it was just all these really horrible things. And as my depression really started to kick up, uh, they invited me out to dinner. And at dinner, where I thought everything was going to be fixed, um, they sat there and said nothing. And then as they got up, they threw me this list on a sheet of paper of everything that I had done wrong and everything that I was not good at and everything that they hated um, about who I was as a person. So that was all happening. And then, um, like I said, my schoolwork was just failing. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't really feel supported. And then to top it all off, as I was kind of declining already, 
um, my grandfather dies. And this was a man that I really highly respected and was very close to and was my godfather and, like, someone I just had, I looked up to my entire life. And he had died while I was at school. And so not being able to say goodbye to him and had watching him, you know, pass from dementia for seven years and then at that final time not being able to be there just crushed me. And I really just took a huge dive down where I stopped eating for a few months and I I had this plan to go, I just fuck it, I'm just, I'm going to go die because I can't do this anymore and I don't know what else to do. So I was actually sitting in the library, um, not studying, but faking studying to get out of my living space and I just had this thought of, I have a car, I could go crash the car, people would think it was an accident, and I could get off scot-free. And so I stood up, and with this plan kind of forming in my head of what I wanted to do, I'm walking through the library, left all my stuff at the library, was walking through, and I got to the entryway door, and I had this spark of, like, wait. Like, if you're going to do this, at least call someone and tell them what your plan is, because someone deserves to know. And so I called my best friend, um, who I was just starting to kind of develop a friendship with, and I called him and I said, hey, I'm done. Like, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm sorry. I really like spending time with you, but I just can't do this anymore. And he asked me to stop and wait and just find a place to sit down, and he was on his way. And so he didn't let me get off the phone. He didn't, you know, he didn't ask any questions. He just, you know, apparently sprinted or, like, drove his car from off campus because he was there in literally, like, two minutes. Mm. And he looked at me and just said, what happened? What's going on? I need to know because I need to know that you're going to be safe. And that was the moment where I just, everything broke inside me and everything broke out. The best thing that he could have done and which he did was just he sat there and as I sobbed and as I felt so hollow and as the world caved in, he just sat there and he, and he listened and he just was there to be. And that really saved my life. And I, after that, I tried to, again, kind of find my way through those ashes because at that point, the, my life and my world had buried me. And so the rest of that time, and really since that point, and that was in 2011, so the past eight years have really just been a journey of trying to find myself, trying to be open about who I am in full and knowing that at the end of the day, I'm going to make it and I'm going to be okay. And whatever kind of tries to bury me again, I know I can fight through it. Wow. So do you think that is what influenced you to write your book, Autism Is Not My Name? Is that a way to just help you get through every single day and just fight through fight through this? It's part of that. Um, it's also part of wanting to be, wanting to give people like me a place to go. Um, because there, 
I'm a reader and I'm a researcher. So kind of going through these times of finding out the diagnosis and really trying to embrace who I am, it's it's been a, a look of like there's no nothing in the research or nothing in these, you know, autobiog autobiographical books that are written by those on the spectrum. And it was really hard for me to listen to the voices of these parents and of these teachers and professionals to say, you know, this is what happens for a kid on the spectrum. Because I'm sitting here and I'm like, no, like, you have no idea what it's like. And so let's get a group of people together to talk about what it's like. And so I've been really on this book journey for the past few years now to find people who are like me and want to tell their stories so we can give the future generation of people who are growing up with these disorders a chance to find someone like them and find comfort in someone else's story because I definitely know that I needed that growing up and it wasn't available. And so this opportunity came after I did a TED Talk a few years ago to start writing it. And I was like, oh, hells yeah. I am all about telling my story and getting it out there because I never want anyone to feel as lost or alone or forgotten or invisible as I had felt during those hard times. And so really my book is just about giving a space and a place for a, a kid or a person on the ASD spectrum to be. And what has it been like hearing other people's stories and hearing their perspectives on how they dealt with finding out they were on the spectrum? You know, that's the hard part because I realized very quickly that not a lot of people are necessarily willing to be open about it. Mm -hmm. um, and there are way more people than I ever expected that were diagnosed as adults. And so they've gone their entire lives into their 40s and 50s having these struggles and not being diagnosed. And when they find that diagnosis, it's just like, wow, everything makes sense. Um, and so part of my story gathering so far, even though I haven't had you know, a plethora of submissions, the ones that I have had submitted, uh, finding out their diagnosis was the moment that everything clicked and the moment that everything made sense in their world. Kind of my presentation of gathering stories from these different perspectives is all about giving someone that aha moment before they have to go through, you know, 40 plus years of not knowing a, a huge piece of themselves and how they interact with the world. Well, really is amazing what you're doing, really is incredible. And I think once the book's all done, it's going to be helping so many people and even just, just speaking out to people and just letting them talk about their stories. I can imagine it'd just be so helpful just to share and just know that other people are going through what they're going through. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This podcast was produced and hosted by myself, Demi Lynch. Make sure you follow the Nasty Woman Club on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or iTunes.